Stay fly. Stay fly. Now is the time to do it. Right now. The Democrats have been playing games with this. This is an opportunity for the Republican Party, even. A big opportunity for them. Because in the 1960s, the Lyndon B. Johnson, the deal that he made with Martin Luther King Jr., that took the black voters away from the Republican Party and brought them over to the Democrat Party. You're listening to The Fly Guy Show. They do everything on the fly and in such a fly manner. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. <laughs> hey, this is Ernie Thomas here on the Vol School Podcast. You're listening to Psycho Vaughner's Fly Guy Podcast. Support, like, subscribe, and share. He's saying some good things. Share it. Don't keep it to yourself. Now, now you guys uh, uh, you guys are located where about? Where, where you are? Uh, oh. We're located We're located in Virginia Beach, Virginia And we're live right now All over Facebook Well, not all over (laughs) We're on three Facebook channels And we're on two YouTube channels And it's your man Seiko Varner with the Fly Guy Show The home of intelligent, conscious Melanated conversations To help us improve our collective situation I have uh, the hype The knowledgeable The intelligent The Prophetic <laughs> T West from Afro Synergy News. How you doing, good brother? Hey, 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 my dear brother. It's good to be on your program. Thanks a million for your invite. I just got through uh, yesterday listening to you interview uh, our brother, um, uh, my brother. Uh, what was his name? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, you said my brother Kitty? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last time I saw him was several years ago. We were in California at an event, and that was my first time actually. We actually met face to face. was was there in uh, Southern California. So, so yeah, that was a good program, though. That was a good program, right? Yeah. Well, you two brothers are definitely of the same cloth. Definitely of the same cloth. So, Afri Synergy. Tell me about how that came about. What does it mean? Um, does it have a, a a definite direction? Is it a movement? You know, talk to me about Afrocentrity. Well, Afrocentrity is about reporting the news, the truth. When you want the real news, the real truth about geopolitics, about domestic politics, about even domestic social matters right here in the United States of America, well, you tune into Afrocentrity News. Now, the, the name Afrocentrity, Afri is actually, you know, Afri, like Africa, and this right. Synergy is when you synergize things, when you mix things up and you and you bring things together. Okay, so uh, the synergy. So I'm a, I'm also a Pan-Africanist as well. Okay, uh, I am for home first, right here first. You know, you make it hot right here, and then you spread out. You spread out elsewhere into Africa and other areas of the diaspora. So that's a little bit about Afro Synergy News. We are about reporting. The facts, the truth. That's what we're about. Real news, real facts. So we report on all of that. What mainstream media, most of what they will not report to you or give to you in just little tidbits, you know, we bring it to you. And sometimes, sometimes it's multiple times during the day, uh, several times during the week. We bring it all times and hours of the day and night. We bring it. So that's a little bit of news. Yeah. 
Hey, you definitely bring it. Uh, you just had a, a video where you went back to 2015 and talked about how you predicted with analytics and by information on President Trump's winning. Uh, you have a number of videos that shows how damaging Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and some of the other uh, Democrat candidates are. It's I'm just blown away by your content, man. Definitely blown away by your content. Uh, I was kind of surprised to find out that you voted for Trump. Would you consider yourself a Trump supporter? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I support Trump with uh, a number of things. Some things I do not support him uh, on. Uh, some of his foreign policy things uh, pertaining to Israel, uh, that whole Iran situation. I don't support that. But there are other parts of his foreign policy that I do support uh, about bringing the troops, getting the troops out of Iraq, getting the troops, those who are in Syria, getting them out of there. Uh, I support those things. I support the fact that Trump, uh, when he was r- running and campaigning for president, that he stated that the United States should not be involved in uh, regime changes and nation building and wasting trillions of dollars on these foreign wars that America should return its investment into the domestic economy to improve the American citizens, to improve the infrastructure right here in the United States of America, instead of wasting so many trillions of dollars, $7 trillion on doggone wars. You know, wars that George W. Bush and uh, 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 Dick Cheney started, that Obama started in Libya, in Syria, in uh, Ukraine. That was all under Obama and Biden. Okay, so all of that affects your domestic situation here. It's it, it affects you whether you're living in, in in Brooklyn and New York or the Bronx or wherever in New York, whether you're living all the way on the West Coast somewhere, maybe in Seattle, Washington, or anywhere in between in Kansas City, Missouri, or Memphis, Tennessee. All of that affects your domestic well-being when you have a military industrial complex that is all about pushing war, war, war. That's a waste of money. All right. So uh, I support Trump's call for uh, uh, bringing the troops home. I totally support that. Even though he gets a lot of pushback from Democrats and Republicans on that, I support that. And I think if more of our voices were being heard on that, I think uh, uh, that we would see greater change towards that endeavor. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Well, that's kind of interesting because you've been pushing the idea that we, we, capital W, capital E, need to request or push or demand that President Trump does an executive order on reparations. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Let me give you an example first, because oftentimes when you when you see certain precedent, uh, some things that you can uh, 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 sort of uh, use as a uh, blueprint, uh, then if it turned out good, then you probably want to duplicate that in another area. And here's the example. Right. Uh, when Trump became president, you had uh, uh, Omarosa. Omarosa was there initially and all, and, and there was talk about <laughs> with black colleges and universities and all. So Omarosa's gone, but the, the talk about uh, uh, historical black colleges and universities funding them, okay, continue. And that's what's important. I'm not Omarosa, but what the agenda was. The agenda was HBCUs, okay, and funding. So uh, somebody stayed in Trump's ear. Okay, they got in his ear and says, hey, look, why don't you, uh, what about an executive order for monies for HBCUs? So Trump signed an executive order for HBCUs. After he did that, 
Then you saw the Democrats over there in the House and all. It's like, oh boy, whoa, 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 whoa. wait a minute here now. Uh, he's really still, he's really taking some thunder here now uh, uh, with this. Okay, uh, so what happened in the, in the House? They voted to permanently fund HBCUs, but what stimulated that? What light? What lit that spark? It was Trump's executive order. Okay, now. Let's go to reparations. Okay, okay. All right, so with reparations, you had the HR bill, HR 40, that's been sitting in a desk in a committee for over 30 years that John Conyers in 19, around about 1989, uh, uh, put forward. It's been sitting for decades. Right, right, right. Movement. So, uh, how do you move that forward? One of the quickest ways to move that forward would be for African-Americans to say, all right, those who, who who have the ear of President Trump, for them to suggest to Mr. Trump that, hey, look, uh, if you would sponsor in an executive order a reparations, okay, that would okay. get all started. It would force the Democrats to in the House to say, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute here now. You, you see what Trump just did? It would force the same sort of action that happened with the HBCU. Okay? It would force the House to produce. Mm. It would bring that legislation out of committee and onto the floor for a vote. We don't need any more studies. We've got all the studies we need. All we need to do is just provide those studies to Congress. And then they vote on it. Okay? So, right, an executive order would be a case where Trump is using his bully pulpit to move things along that has been sitting in limbo. Obama used executive orders. He used it with DACA. (laughs) Right. With DACA. Now, the Hispanics, they were happy about that because Congress, they weren't moving with any kind of uh, real immigration legislation. But when Obama did his executive order with DACA, Well, that made a lot of them happy. So we're asking for an executive order uh, from Donald Trump. Imagine. And our goal is to actually, uh, for Trump to do that before the November elections. If Trump did that before the November elections, Trump would go down in history. It would be a wrap. It would be a wrap. But it would be good for us. It would be good for us more so than somebody's party or you know that's one of the things that I'm pushing right now that the Democrats cannot win without us and the Republicans might not win without us and I've learned that from you and you know for some of the others as well wow wow so how do we how do we affect an executive order from President Trump what would be the steps how do we make that happen well the steps are this Trump is always saying, African-Americans, come on, let's talk. Come on, let's talk. And you see young and some middle-aged and some older African-Americans at the White House, and they be talking with Trump. Uh, you, you know, you see Daryl Scott right. and others, okay? And some of, some of the people who are listening, you probably know Daryl Scott, or you know someone who is close uh, to Daryl Scott, or you know someone who, who go to the White House and down there who are black. They don't even have to be black sometimes, okay? You got other people who will also promote this agenda who are not black, okay? Now, so, 
But when you have someone who have the ear of the president, you, what you want to do is you want to work with that individual so that that individual will work with the president and put it in his ear. Look, Mr. President, do you want to win this big? And do you want to go down in history as being the greatest president on behalf of African-Americans? The way to do that is with an executive order for reparations. Now, an executive order for reparations would just be a small amount, okay? And we we don't even want to even even uh, uh, discuss and, and and finagle over the amount because it's not about the amount with an executive order. It is about that particular action because what that mm. will do, as I said earlier. That will force action in Congress. The Republicans would jump all over it because Trump is behind it. The Republicans were not uh, all on board with uh, this whole illegal immigration situation until Trump started pushing and promoting it. Then Mitch McConnell and the rest of them jumped on board with it. Okay? So mm. they, they were running, rolling right along pretty much with the Democrats with this whole illegal immigration thing until Trump said, oh, no, no. In my administration, my platform, I am not going to tolerate this open borders sort of nonsense. So when you have an executive order like this, uh, a, that sitting president would go down in history with African-Americans as, hey, look, you're the real deal. You really, You really got it done. You really brought it through. Now, this was something that Obama would never do. He was scared. He would never have done it. Okay? But with Trump, fortunately, Trump has a backbone. Okay? He's stubborn enough, and, and, and he has such an ego enough that he would actually do something like this. So, this is the right person at the right time for uh, demanding that and requesting that reparations be started through an executive order. Okay? So that's my vision for that. That's my vision for it. And uh, we can do this, but what we have to do, those of us who know people who have access to the White House, we have to put that in writing, very short, and submit it to the White House. And each individual out here, you can even, individuals out here can write letters to the White House promoting an executive order for reparation. You have Twitter. Trump's out there on Twitter all the time. And your Twitter and your tweets and all, you always talk about an executive order for reparations. You put it out there, out there, saturate uh, the media with that. Okay. Okay. Now, will our senators and Congress people have any impact on this? Do we need to contact our senators and our Congress when men and women and get them to do anything as well? I know that not only the presidential elections will happen in 2020, but we'll have numerous congressional races and senatorial races as well. So do we impact them as well? What's good with that? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Good point. Yes, yes. 
Yes. Certainly. What you can do is also use it for your local Congress people, your national Congress people. You use it at every level. Every level. You push it and you promote it. You saturate the entire political environment with it. Now is the time to do it. Right now. The Democrats have been playing games with this. This is an opportunity for the Republican Party even. A big opportunity for them. Because in the 1960s, the Lyndon B. Johnson, the deal that he made with Martin Luther King Jr., that took the black voters away from the Republican Party and brought them over to the Democrat Party. That was so profound that Lyndon B. Johnson said, I'll have these niggas voting Democrat for the next 100 years. Yo, you said that, and that blew my mind and blew my wife's mind when we took that into context, that our Republican hero, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., met with Linda B. Johnson, a Democrat, and now this is kind of the, the result of it, that we haven't really gotten anything since the 1964 legislation, from what you're saying. That's right. That's right. That's right. 1964, 1965, you had the Immigration Naturalization Act, that bill that passed. And then you started seeing, from that point on, you started seeing millions upon millions of mostly, primarily Hispanics coming into this country. And they they actually offset African-Americans socioeconomically. They did that in California and other states across this country. They started doing that. So, in fact, I, I had a chart. I've shown this chart for uh, more than a year now where you where you see over the same time frame, you see black males being incarcerated at the same graphical uh, uh, trajectory as young Hispanic males entering into the United States, replacing them in the job workforce. That's why you continually see the wealth gap of African-Americans either remain the same comparative to white people or dipping lower and lower in America. So now is the time. Now is the time. We have a case for it, but we have to push it. We have to promote it. We have to saturate the entire political environment with it, whether they're Democrats, whether they're Republicans. This is an opportunity for the Republicans because in the coming, coming years, and this is very soon, the Republicans are going to be losing more and more to Democrats if the Republicans do not start capturing a significant number of the black voters. Ashe, Ashe, I've been saying on Twitter, on Facebook, and in the YouTube talks, uh, Get On Code with Seiko Varner, that once again, the Democrats will lose without us. The Republicans might lose without us. It's our vote that makes all the difference. I want to say, hey, we got Queen Shay all day who's joined us. Uh, uh, now, uh, Shay and I can't have our mics at the same time. It gets an echo. It gets an echo. But Queen Shay all day, say a few words. We got Brother yeah, T. West Brother in the T. house. West in the house. Uh, hello, 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 everybody. Glad to be here. And it sounds like I missed a lot of really interesting stuff as I was coming in. Um, so I'm absorbing and listening 
to what I came in on so far. All right, Shay. All right, Shay. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah, yeah. All right, so then, uh, Brother T. West, man, you have the floor. You have the information. You have the movement as well. You mentioned something about your visual, your 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 graph that shows that as Hispanic males, young Hispanic or Latino males, came into our country, then we had more and more incarceration with our foundational black, ADOS, whatever term you want to use, African-American, uh, melanated, Moorish, indigenous, whatever term you want to use. You're saying as they came in, our, our Hispanic and Latino brothers and sisters came in, we ended up going to jail. Can you expound a little more on that, brother? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, over 25% of black males over that period of time, let's say going all the way back to 1990 and coming forward for 20 years to 2010 or 2018, 30 years for that matter. Uh, over 25% of them, if they did not graduate uh, from high school and with a diploma, they ended up in prison. So you had a huge number of black males who were being incarcerated during a 20, more than a 20 year period. Now, those were persons who would normally uh, at least take menial jobs, you know, low skill jobs, but they were going to prison. So to replace them, they were bringing in, the government was bringing in, US government was allowing uh, millions of uh, illegal immigrants to come into the United States and they were taking those uh, menial jobs, painting jobs, carpentry jobs. They were taking those jobs and other jobs that normally those young black men would have. Okay? So, and at, at the same time, what you saw, you saw more and greater and greater struggles with more and more black families here in the United States because, number one, you had a situation where these black males in increasing numbers they weren't there they were in prison so uh, the chart that I showed at that time what you what you see in that chart you see the same thing for the same period of time and, and no one can say well that's just an anomaly no, it's not an anomaly because that's trending over a 20 plus year time frame and you see the the trajectory on both charts were the same. And then when they finally leveled off, they leveled off at virtually the same time. Wow. Okay? And no one, no one has brought that out. No one has ever said anything about that. Ever. And part of the reason is because you have a lots of African Americans, lots of blacks, who are saying, well, you know, uh, these Hispanics, you know, they're our brothers and sisters, you know, and if we standing with them, the Browns and the Blacks, we standing together, you know, we're, we're doing this, we're doing that. But for the most part, they are eating your doggone cake. As you're doing this, <laughs> they're doing this. It's just that the laws of, uh, of, 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 uh, of motion, EMC square, okay? Okay. That direction creates opposite force in the opposite direction. It moves you forward as it's being pushed out of the back. You're being pushed out of the back while something else is moving forward. Okay? So this is beyond, and you mentioned it in the early part of the program. That's right. I don't believe in the mythical white supremacy. 
I don't see white people as being supreme. I've never seen white people as being supreme. I don't see them as being dominant. I've never seen them as being dominant. You know, you have the Moors who ruled in Europe and Western Europe, many parts of Western Europe, for almost 800 years. Salute Moors. Okay, almost 800 years. So, and that only ended around about, what, 14th century was when it ended. And not long thereafter, that's when you started seeing the massive enslavement of our people into the Western Hemisphere. So, um, so when we look at when we look at uh, that chart, that chart uh, where you see that trend of black men in particular being incarcerated, while at the same time you had all of these Hispanic males, young males, being shipped into this country to replace them. So that's why today in California, state of California, you got a negative 10% decrease in blacks leaving California. But now today, 52% of the population of California is Hispanic today. It's their majority. Therefore, they can demand a sanctuary city. They can demand a sanctuary state. But imagine black people. Imagine for a moment. For almost 39%, almost 40% of African Americans still reside in the southeastern region of the United States. And that's where Joe Biden started kicking Bernie Sanders' butt at. Because you got a lot of blacks in that area. Okay? But imagine this. Imagine all of you who were your parents and your grandparents when they left the South, went to California, went Northeast, went to other areas of the country, fleeing Jim Crow, fleeing sharecropping, fleeing all of those things. But imagine if the generations today, imagine if you migrated back to the Southeastern region of the United States and you made a majority in the region. You established a majority in the region. The Hispanics established a majority in California. Therefore, they changed the laws and ordinances of California to suit them. They changed the laws to mimic or look like what they were accustomed to in Mexico. In Mexico, men can marry little girls who are 13 years of age. So therefore, they're changing laws in California to try to match what they knew about and had benefits of in California. All right? So, black people, where there is no vision, the people perish. You're not going to hear what I'm saying from a Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, or anybody else. You're not going to hear what I'm saying. Okay? This is new. Okay? This is the vision. This is the vision for today and going forward. You establish your black mecca in the southeastern region of the United States. You do that by getting the numbers. Getting those numbers up. Moving back from those areas where Jim Crow, sharecropping, and all the ugly sisters of child slavery chased and ran your foreparents off to. Hmm. Move back to those areas. Establish your black mecca. Establish that. You're not going to gain anything in California anymore. What about Atlanta? You will never have the numbers anymore in California. But go ahead, brother. Say. What about Atlanta? Uh, Atlanta and uh, Atlanta and Detroit are called black meccas. Yeah. Atlanta is a part of the southeastern region. Detroit is not a part of the southeastern region. Okay? Detroit is not a part of that. You had a lot of blacks who, who left the south. They went up to uh, 
uh, uh, uh, uh, uh, up there to the auto industry in Detroit to work in those in the manufacturing industry up there. But their parents, the parents, they did good. They retired. They got uh, pensions and all. They did good. But those children who are still there now, they're not doing as well as their parents were doing there in Detroit anymore because much of that industry was gutted. When uh, 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 In the 1980s, 1990s, you had all of those jobs. Remember Ross Perot? Talk about that, uh, that, 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 uh, that sucking sound. Those jobs <laughs> going out of America, right. going to Mexico first, and then going over to China, Taiwan and to China. All those jobs were going out because at the same time here in America, they were talking about all in the media. They were talking about the browning of America. In other words, America is becoming a non-white nation. And white folks, white executives, white people were trying to get their wealth out of this country before you had attained a numerical majority in this country. That's what they were trying to do. So, but instead, what they also did also, they used the Hispanics as a buffer zone between them and you. Between, okay. Mm, a buffer zone? A buffer zone. Yes. Okay. In other words, if the Hispanics are, if you are struggling and trying to get the job, over millions of illegal immigrants who are coming into the country, will that take your attention off of the guy up here who's holding most of the money? It takes your attention off of that. So they're a buffer zone. Okay? You got to fight through that before you can get to the one on the top. Okay? And the one on the top, as you see in that chart up there, that's in green. Mm. It's in green. It's more than uh, 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 what? Uh, fourteen, at least fourteen times higher than the wealth of black folks, white folks' wealth. Then you have Hispanics. Hispanics in America, their wealth is nearly twice that of African Americans in the United States. Nearly twice. So, African Americans, what do you have to lose? Trump's world. <laughs> what do you have to lose? Okay. Whew. Trump's real. Whew. Trump knows that Jesse Jackson cannot give you a pop to piss in. He knows that Spike Lee can't do the, do it either. He knows that Al Sharpton can't do it either. He knows that Jim Clyburn can't do it either. He knows that Nancy Pelosi can't do it either. They don't have the bully pulpit of the White House right now. Unless some say, well, uh, T. West, well, Trump is a doggone racist. So what if he is? I'm not saying he is, but so what if he is? If that racist, if I can make a deal with that racist to get what my people want, then I'm going to make that deal with the racist because that racist is also looking for something for me. He's looking for my vote. He's looking for the black vote. Okay? The Republican Party is also looking for the black vote. It's just that some some, some people in the Republican Party, they just don't know it yet. Okay? But they need the black vote. They need it really, really bad. Okay? Because that gerrymandering, that is not going to work too much longer. It's not going to be too effective too much longer across this country. Interesting. 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 Uh, Brother T. West from Afro Synergy News is on with Seiko Varner, DJ Seiko Varner at Grandpa Crunk and Queen Shay all day at 360 Citizens. Um, and Brother T. West, your 
Twitter handle is what? It's at W-E-S-T-T-H-E-A. Okay. Okay. Queen Shay all day had the idea of talking about reparations. Uh, so Queen Shay, what says you? Okay. So before we get into reparations, I have a couple of questions. So going back to the idea of a black Mecca, um, Seiko, I think we thought about it at the same time. Atlanta is a huge black population. So with the black Mecca, what happens from there? Well, with the black Mecca, what happens from there, the thing that you want to do is you want to map out what's important, what's most important for the group, for African-Americans. That's the first thing that you want to do. And then you want to uh, uh, look at what is inhibiting those things that you have decided are most important to you. Next, you want to establish ordinances and laws that push aside those things that are inhibiting those things that you have determined are most important to you. Okay? Now, you've got some precedent. As I said earlier, when those Hispanics came in, legal and illegal, what they did, you know, the children might might have been legal, but the parents are still illegally here in America. They started working together and they started changing the laws and ordinances in California, in Baltimore, Atlanta. I think Atlanta is also a sanctuary city. Okay? So you got some black folks up in there who, uh, who, who aren't thinking too well in Atlanta. Okay? All right. So uh, you establish your laws and regulations for your domain, for your uh, municipal area, for your regional area. You establish those things. It's about the numbers. The numbers. So I agree. I think um, that that's, that's something that's definitely needed and something that would make that change. Like there are things that once you have the numbers, you you do. You start making changes. We've seen that over history in different groups in our own community. How do you get to that point, though? Because so even looking at reparations, for example, when you talk about reparations, of course, you're going to get pushback from white people. But when you talk about reparations, you get pushback from black people, too. Sure. And so with so many different streams of thought some people my take on it is a lot of people grow up in a culture in the American culture that pushes you to see things from what I like to call the colonizer mindset or the colonizer point of view even no matter what race you are and so when you hear things like reparations black people who have taken in these messages of black people are lazy, black people just want handouts, black people just want free money. Uh, when you look at black people who have attained higher levels of education who might be doing fairly well for themselves and they look at their lower income brethren and they say, well, if you, you just give people money, then they're not going to know what to do with it. And so how do we unify to even get the numbers, even if we have the the population numbers, how do we get the unity numbers to actually make 
changes and have a unified voice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you do it. You do what we're doing right now. All right. Right now, you have the most powerful medium ever known in history, and that is the power of social media. Right now, it was so powerful that uh, when Donald Trump won over Hillary Clinton, in spite of mainstream media believing and saying that they had that Hillary had it in the bag and that she she was going to win. It was social media that primarily helped Donald Trump pull across the line. So much so that mainstream media, in an envious way, they started referring to social media as fake news. Okay? That's what they started doing. Because for the first time in history, uh, it was social media. It was us out here who made the big, big difference. Okay, so that first of all would be the area where we start at. We start right there, and we're doing that right now. That's why I'm on your program because we're doing that. We're building uh, the framework for this. Okay, we're changing the hearts and minds of the people. Now you're not going to hear this on MSNBC, CBS, uh, ABC, CNN, Fox News. You're not going to hear it out there. Uh, you're not going to hear it on NPR. You you won't hear it. Okay. You only hear this out here in the biggest media now, which is social media. It's bigger than old mainstream media. Legacy media is bigger. This is bigger than that. So it starts here. It doesn't end here, but it starts here and it continues here. And when you start changing the hearts and minds of the people, then politicians start listening. They start looking. Okay? When uh, Tom Steyer, who was a Democrat candidate running for president, the billionaire, when he saw that, well, look, I'm not getting any traction saying this, but for South Carolina, heck, I need to talk about reparations. So he started talking about reparations. He started talking about what black people wanted to hear. And so what he what happened with him? Okay, he did win 11% of the vote in South Carolina because he tapped in to what black people more and more we're talking about. Now, your other uh, comment and question, you're going to always have some people who are going to be at odds with you. Always. Okay. Always. But your goal is always to win the hearts and minds of the people rather than they win the hearts and minds of the people. You have to outcompete them. You have to be better than them. That is the goal. We can do that. And we're doing it. We're doing it right now. Okay? So uh, there's a lot of work involved with it. Lots of work. But we got to do that work, and we're doing that work. So that those were very, very good questions. I don't know if I covered all of what you asked right there, uh, uh, Shay. If I didn't, uh, uh, go ahead and chime back in. Um, I, think you, I think you did cover it. And um, one, I want to note that one, we have a comment about the fake news that Trump and the GOP are the ones who started talking about fake news um, because they were saying things that he didn't like. Um, Hillary did win the popular vote, but she did not win the electoral vote, um, which is the determining factor. Um, But more so, I wanted to talk about 
So one thing I saw Bug commented, he talked about the gentrification of Atlanta, something else we're seeing in D.C. as well, where um, the market and the and the um, housing uh, commerce are being controlled by corporations, by um, housing corporations, which tend to be either white or Middle Eastern a lot of times. Um, so they're controlling who's living where, what gets built, what uh, what kind of things are showing up. So there's a challenge there. But I also see um, a challenge in even when you say, okay, he talked about reparations. What does reparations look like? Is it the 40 acres and a mule in a place where most people can't have land? I live in a city where we're not even allowed to have chickens in our backyard. And the people, the citizens of this city have been trying to even have chickens in our backyard. So what does reparations look like? And how do we push back when a lot of the spaces, even social media, so like Facebook has algorithms, where certain things are, people have reported their uh, posts being taken down if it discusses race too much, whether it's positive or negative. Um, whereas other things like the Nancy Pelosi doctored video, the deep fakes, um, are not being taken down or being widely shared. So there looks like there's bias even in what social media shows, um, what we see in the reparations conversation. So I have two things. Let me let me sum it up. The first thing is, yes, social media is powerful, but we are not controlling social media. And the, the people that do control social media still have the power to decide what gets seen and shared, along with fake news, which is a real thing, uh, misinformation, bots, trolls, all of that happens in social media to promote certain ideas. So all of that is going on in social media and with legacy media. And then when we are talking about reparations, what does that even mean? Okay. All right. Uh, I'll start with uh, social media first, and then I'll get to reparations and what that really means. Okay. Now, uh, first of all, you mentioned uh, gentrification. Gentrification. Now, Atlanta, Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. used to be called the Chocolate City at one time. It's not the Chocolate City anymore. Okay. Uh, now, but that is mostly the fault of African-Americans. Okay. Uh, anytime African-Americans uh, will cape for other groups, especially immigrant and more specifically illegal immigrant groups <clears throat> more than they cape for themselves then bad results will be the result bad results will happen okay now so in Atlanta which I believe is a sanctuary city I think Atlanta is a sanctuary city uh and it shouldn't be a sanctuary city, but black folks, black politicians, black, uh, uh, not just politicians, because you got voters who have allowed that to happen there. OK, when you allow these things to happen, 
Little by little, more and more is taken away from you. All you got to do is look at uh, South Central LA, Los Angeles, California. Look at some areas where it's already happened at, okay? And then you'll understand. So gentrification, anytime you have a huge wealth gap where white people have at least 14 times more wealth than black people, then it is far easier for them to control property, tax valuations, and other aspects, other trichology to get property away from blacks in urban areas primarily. It's easier for them to do things like that. Which, by the way, uh, it was property that through which white people acquired that huge wealth gap. Land Grant Acts, Homestead Acts, all of that, and then not to mention redlining, all that that came even after the Homestead Act, Land Grant Acts, all of that, okay? That's why we demand reparations. We're not requesting reparations, we're demanding reparations, okay? Because it is owed, okay? Now, um, when you look at Washington, D.C., I know Baltimore is a, is a sanctuary city, and Washington, D.C., probably is too, okay? These are where you have a huge black population, but black folk are not in touch with the realities of what will move them forward collectively. They have tapped into the old traditional mainstream media's ideology, okay? We, people of color, all right, I don't even use a doggone term, people of color. I don't use it. When I'm talking about us, I say black folks. I say African-Americans, okay? Not people of color. And you'll notice something else. Donald Trump never referred to, when he's talking about black people, he never referred to them as people of color. You'll never hear him talking about using that term, people of color. I've never heard him say it. He said African-Americans. You see Bernie? Uh, he also says the blacks. Yes, like that's yes. it. Yeah. Black, so black, black. on the one hand, yes, he might not say people of color, but on the other hand, he does seem to kind of not see it as more of a people term as much as a category, the blacks. Well, it is a category. It is. I'm I'm happy. It's a category. The blacks. I'm the blacks. Hey, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, what did us what else did Trump say? He said that. Slavery was barbaric. That slavery was savagery. Okay? He referred to those of your ancestors, my ancestors who were enslaved, as sacred souls. Sacred souls. You don't hear the normal politician, white politician, saying things like that. You don't hear that. But Trump said that. So do you feel like Trump is... uh, an advocate for black people because uh one i i definitely assume that if he if we were in uh slavery times again that he would definitely own slaves two um i haven't seen i don't listen to what he says i watch what he does i haven't seen him do anything to address any type of systemic bias or systemic injustices. Okay, well, hold that point. Hold that point. Okay. 
All right. We're not doing we're, we're going to deal with reality. We're here right now. We're not in slavery time. So Donald Trump is here right now. All right. The first step act, when he signed that into law, that was beneficial to African Americans mostly and primarily. Over 93% of those who are coming out of prison are black men. Over 93%. That's good. Okay. Now, secondly, secondly, uh, the fight against illegal immigration into this country is most beneficial to African Americans. Okay. All right. In, in uh, Mississippi, when 800, uh, over 800 illegal aliens working at those plants in Mississippi were arrested and working there illegally, it was mostly and mainly black people who got those jobs after those these people were arrested and they were, and they were paid for. Okay. Okay. You also have uh, uh, with Trump. When Trump, uh, when Trump uh, did the executive order for historically black colleges and universities, that was beneficial for mostly black people, mostly with HBCUs. So I can go on and on and list and talk about some other things that Trump is actually doing that is beneficial for African-Americans. And when someone says to me and they have the power of the White House, and they say to me, come on, African-Americans, come on to the table. Come on. You got something to gain. What do you have to lose? Come on, let's talk. When someone says that to me, I'm going to go to that table, and if nothing else, I'm going to call their bluff. Okay, but instead, what did you have? The the, uh, rank and file among African-Americans, the rank and file, most of the rank and file, they refuse to do that. Okay, so what are they doing? They are not doing the bidding of you uh, and of me. They're doing their own political bidding of their political ideological party. That's what they're doing. So that's why I produced the African-Americans National Political Agenda so that there is clarity as to who we are, what we stand for, what we demand, and what we see as a debt to us. Okay, so... Anytime someone, once again, say to me, come, come to the table. Well, hey, I'm at the table now. This is what I want. You can either say yes or you can say no. But if you never go to the doggone table, okay, that's the problem. Okay, that is the problem. So they have frightened African-Americans across this country. If you talk to Donald we will tar you. We will disown you. You are persona non grata. If you dare talk to Donald Trump, it was because Martin Luther King Jr. dared. Martin Luther King Jr. was a Republican. He dared to sit down and discuss with a Democrat in the White House. Progress for Africans that the Civil Rights Bill of 1954 became law with black women who had children and, 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 and you had and some of them did not know where the next meal was going to come from. These black women were very, very happy about that. And they looked, they looked over and past political lines to accomplish that. And that's what I'm asking African Americans to do today is to look beyond the emotionalism that mainstream media is always trying to hype you all into. Look beyond that. Look for so I'll say, I'll say I, I, I can definitely agree with that. I think there's a, a strong uh, need for critical thinking, for being able to see beyond like uh, 
the the two party system it's still two groups of white people fighting for white people um so i don't i agree that being able to to talk about what we're looking for um as we're wrapping up i want to say that and and even ask like without his, without uh, the Hispanic population, without the influx of immigrants, legal or illegal, what do you think would have been different? Because the experience that Blacks have always had in this country and in this culture where we have this race-based system has been to be denied any livable economic conditions at every turn and opportunity. So while on the one hand, I can see where the idea that we need to um, address illegal immigration is a thing, I can also see that, take that out of the equation and the system and the white people who control that system are still not going to give opportunities to black people. Well, you don't look for white people to give. Some white people are willing to do the right thing. Some of them are not, and some of them never will be willing to do the right thing. But some of them are willing and ready to do the right thing, okay? Now, um, that's the opposition for those who are not willing to do the right thing. That's your opposition. But for the opposition, we push against that. We continue to push against that. What is the old saying? If you get knocked down, what do you do? You get back up. Okay? You get back up. All right. Now, you never get anything without being knocked down, anything of really of importance if you're black in America, without getting knocked down some, at some point. King got knocked down. A number of other blacks, they got knocked down. But they got back up. You get right back up and you keep pushing. Until you get what you came to get, what you're demanding to get, what is yours, okay? The reparations is yours, all right? There are various reasons why uh, uh, you deserve reparations. And the fact that Donald Trump mentioned the word reparations, the fact that Mitch McConnell mentioned it, the fact that others are mentioning the word reparations, that is a sign of progress. Now, the case for reparations, the case for reparations is the black and white wealth gap. That is the biggest case for reparations. That is the information that's out there. Okay. Joe Biden, you look at his adverse words about reparations. He doesn't support reparations. Same thing with Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders have a hard time referring to African-Americans. So he he lumped them in with, as people of color. And then also you have uh, the seating, seating of reparations at the national and at the local levels. Okay, where you have universities and religious institutions who are now putting together reparations packages. Okay, all right. So we have to have it at every level, at the highest level down to the lowest. So we're pushing, right. supporting that. So uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm getting the picture. So regardless of, so the illegal immigration conversation, the Hispanic conversation is less about uh, them more about us needing to focus on ourselves, needing to um, gather and unify with a plan and what we're asking for. 
that being said, as you're talking about reparations, can you spend the next minute or so just breaking down what reparations looks like for Black people in America? Well, as I said, the justification for it is the Black-White wealth gap in America. All right? And y'all see that on your on your screen. You see it. That's that's what it is. That's what it's been for generations in America. That's the case for it. Now you have you have the chattel slavery, and then you have the ugly sisters of chattel slavery, the Jim Crow, the sharecropping, the redlining, and all other different forms of discrimination. You have the affirmative action, which they piled on and let everybody come into affirmative action. Uh, white women and other people, they all came in on that. So it was a farce. Okay, so that was not reparation. So when Mitch McConnell says that's your reparations, oh no, Barack Obama was your reparations. Oh no, that was not your reparations. So, but seeding reparations. At all levels, all levels. Okay, marijuana is not dispensaries is not your reparations. Okay, so black people don't be stupid. Okay, that's not your reparations. Okay, so Trump, Trump seizing, seizing the reparations initiative. Our goal is for him to seize upon the reparations in an executive order for 2020 before the November elections. That is what. Our goal ought to be. Now, the Democrats, they have a goal, too. They're in Atlanta. They're pushing a 2022 plan. And that 2022 plan incorporates uh, reparations. They're talking about reparations. But they should be talking about reparations right now. They should be pushing it right now, not tomorrow, not 2022. So, also, uh, the cyclical program and process hold as beneficial for blacks. Well, the wealth gap continues to expand between black and white in America. So what do I mean by the cyclical programs? I mean, okay, every president who comes into office, you know, you're going to look at unemployment and everything. Unemployment will drop uh, or go up, okay? Black unemployment, white unemployment. You see all of that. You hear pro- of other programs, programs such as uh, uh, the enterprise zones, the uh, opportunity zones, uh, all these things, uh, uh, which in, in many cases, it pushes and promotes gentrification in many areas of the country. Now, there are exceptions, but we have to look at the exceptions, okay? But for the most part, none of that, none of it, none of these programs moved collectively, overall moved black people forward. None of them. Okay, so if none of them did that, and none of them did, then you have to look at something that actually triggered and caused that huge wealth gap to develop between black and white in America in the first place, which was the huge land grant acts, the huge homesteading acts. Okay, when they started talking about General Sherman and all started talking about 40 acres and a mule and all the whole bit, when you start talking about the Freedmen's Bank, free, uh, Freedom, Freedom Bank, Freedman Bank, and all, when you start talking about all of those things, those are areas that African Americans that were that were for African Americans specifically, even the 14th Amendment. 14th Amendment had nothing to do with anchor babies. 14th Amendment only had to do with two things. It had to do with former slave owners, and it had to do with children born of enslaved black women and men. That's all. It mentions immigration nowhere in there. Okay? It was only in the 1960s that those uh, ACLU lawyers, the uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg people, changed that in order. They didn't change the 14th Amendment. They just changed the public uh, misunderstanding of it to me, okay, this is anchor baby stuff too, okay? When in fact it never was. It was never intended for that. But they used what was for us, and I'm talking about illegal immigrants now, they used what was for us to advance themselves at your expense. 
Okay? As I wow. said, EMC square. EMC square. Energy, something in that direction creates opposite force in that direction. If you're losing, if you're dropping, if you're going down on the wealth scale, then somebody else is getting that wealth. Okay? And that's what's happening. Either white folks are getting it or other, other illegal immigrants or immigrant groups who are coming into the country are getting that. So we have to wake up. We have to wake up. We have to demand what is ours. We cannot, we cannot any longer sit back, make excuses, all right? And get all emotional about things without thinking, okay? Use your emotionalism to to improve your intellectualism. Okay? All right. Yeah. All right. 21-point agenda. And I know Shay all day has some great questions. <laughs> and we're going to let you... I'm still gonna... trying to figure out what reparations... Like, what are we asking for? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. All right. What are we asking for? What are we asking, right, for? asking for? You're asking for wealth. That's what you're asking for. The greatest source of wealth is land. It's property. It's ownership. Okay? When you have money, you can buy land. Or land can even be deeded to you by the government. You have federal land. Millions of acres of federal land all around the United States. Okay? You got land that the federal government can deed to you. You even have some state land. Because it wasn't just the federal government who participated in slavery. It was from the top all the way down to the bottom. And it wasn't just slavery. It was everything that came after slavery also, even to this present day. Okay? How do you know? How do we know? We, look, we know because we're looking at the doggone numbers. Who's incarcerated? Who uh, 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 who had the highest numbers in this? In diseases, etc. cetera. Uh, 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 medical apartheid. Okay? All right, medical uh, 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 procedures carried out against black people in America to further the wealth of white people, the benefits of white people and other people in America. All right, so when we talk about reparations, we're talking about value. We're talking about wealth. We're talking about, that's why I have that chart up there. You're looking at that. See that green? That green is white folk, okay? That's what the green is. That red is black folk, all right? So we have to change that. The only way that you're going to change that, you're not going to change that through enterprise zones, opportunity zones, affirmative action, or any of those things. You've already tried all those things for decades. You're not going to change it. You're not going to change it through that. No, it'll help a few individuals and the the wealth gap will continue to grow. Okay, that wealth gap includes Oprah Winfrey's in there with the black folks, uh, all Bill Cosby, every wealthy person, all the basketball players, football players, everybody's in there, all of them. Okay, but still, it's like a drop in the bucket compared to white people in America. All right. But it didn't get there just by happenstance. It wasn't magical that white people acquired this great wealth. In fact, African-Americans have been here in this country longer than most white groups in America. They've been here longer. Especially longer than the white female. Because the white female did not initially come over here. It was the men who came first. All right. So, we have to look at these things. We have to think of these things intellectually and not emotionally. Okay? So we have to react in that way. All right, check this. Crumb from Crumb TV, uh, the person who has this great platform, one of which we're sharing, says only nations get reparations. Black is not a nationality. How do we, uh, how do you address these type of comments? That's not true. That is not true. The Japanese in America, Japanese Americans were not nation. They were not a nation here in America. They were not. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, I know where he's going with that. That's not true. Okay. Uh, uh, it's totally not true. That's not accurate. 
Uh, you can, as a people, as a group of people, what was done to you was done to you as a group of people. Okay. And a nation is a group. Okay. All right. So, I mean, we can, we can parse words and the whole bit and everything, but you are a group of people upon which this was perpetrated upon you against you. Okay. So as a group, you come back with a redress to get the reparations that you're owed. All right. You know what? I, I've often heard if blacks got reparations, they would go uh, spend it at the Lexus dealer the next morning. Uh, and and Crumb also put up a statement about uh, folks think that reparations is going to work like food stamps. Uh, any comment uh, to those type of comments? Because those come all the time. Those come all the time when we talk about reparations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, no, uh, that's inaccurate. Most black people are good stewards with money. Okay. Most black people are black folk down through the time, the ages here in America. Black folks have taken far less than what other groups of people have money. White people have. They've taken that and they've been able to stretch it far. Now, you also have some black folks who are they'll just waste it. They'll waste money. You've got that. You always have people like that. You got white people like that. You got Asian people like that. They'll waste it. They'll blow it. Okay. They blow it. There's no welfare for them after that. Okay. They waste it. It's it's on them. Okay. All right. Let's stop making excuses. Okay. Let's stop making excuses. I am not one. I live here on my homestead on my property here. Okay. All right. I am not one who's going to just uh, waste money, throw away money. I build. I'm a builder. And most black people are that way. So let's stop playing into those stereotypes, okay? Because most black people are just like me. Just like me. Mainstream people will show you the idiots. They will project the idiots out there. The 21-point agenda, your 21-point agenda, then I want to uh, fall back and let Shay come back with the heat. <laughs> but talk about your 21-point agenda. I actually have it up on the screen right now. Okay, all right. Is there any particular point in there that you want to start with, or or would you like me to just jump into it? Jump right, jump on in, bro. It's a nice river. Jump on in. Okay, all right. Well, uh, the first part of the agenda is uh, item number one. Item number one on the African American's national political agenda says that government, a government study, and y'all know this is already uh, there, okay, but a government study on the adverse effect today of slavery, Jim Crow, and discrimination against African Americans, adverse effect on establishment and accumulation of generational wealth, and the monetary value to beneficiaries of slavery, Jim Crow, and other forms of discrimination. That's item number one. Okay, so that's talking about reparations. So item number two, reparations is owed and must be rendered to African-American descendants of those enslaved beginning approximately in 1619 in primarily British, French and Spanish colony territories on and what would become the United States of America. Because we know that in 1619, that United States was not yet a nation. It did not become a nation until a long time after that. What was that? 1776. Okay? So the British. So if you're talking about reparations, you got the British right there. You also have the French right there. You also have the Spanish. All right. Item number three. To move reparations bill 
HR 40 into discussion from the committee to a full vote on the floor, the House floor. Isn't HR 40 trash? That's what I keep hearing. The HR 40 is pretty much trash. Well, HR 40 is really is really nothing. It's not trash. It's really nothing uh, because it's 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 just uh, it's it's less than one page. Okay, it is about doing a study. Okay, <laughs> okay, that's okay. what. It, so so it's not totally trash. Okay, uh, but it is something that we should push out of that committee. Okay? It should not be in the committee. Okay? It should be on the House floor. Alright. But it's a starting point. Okay? It's not a, It's not zero, so it's not totally trash. No, it's not that. You can use that. As I said earlier, black folks can take something that's not much and really turn something into it. And really make something out of it. And we can, number four, with this. If you got the right people working with it. Alright. So I number five. Hard work. Well, no, item number four. To produce a U.S. Senate bill equivalent to H.R. 40 in the House. Now, I had written this agenda before Senator Cory Booker and another senator actually went out there and they produced a Senate bill. Okay? So, they've done that. Item number four, they've done that in the Senate. And maybe, just maybe, I haven't seen the Senate bill, but I would like to see it. I'm going to try to uh, see if I can get a hold to it. Uh, maybe we should push it, depending on what the Senate bill looks like. If it looks better than what's in the House, maybe you should push it from the Senate level, and that will help also move it at the House level. Okay? So that's an alternative. So we have to think about that. Item number five. Hard work and free labor should be valued and rewarded, whether it started in 1619 or today. Okay? You heard you heard Jim Clyburn say that unemployment for blacks were lower during slavery than it was, than it is right now. Okay? And Jim Clyburn was dead wrong. Chattel slavery was not employment. You don't call that employment. You did not fill out a W-4 form. That was <laughs> that was slavery. Okay? That was inhumane. If the United States can cape, the government can cape for the Armenians with regards to Turkey then by God, uh, the greatest citizens of America, the most loyal citizens of America, then you ought to be able to cape for African Americans who built the great wealth of this country from the agricultural revolution and then transferred that wealth into the industrial revolution and then transferred that wealth into the computer technology revolution. Okay? So all of that was started by us, by our ancestors in the United States of America and even before it was the United States so item 6 all citizens of the United States must have the right to vote and that right must be protected that's item number 6 we believe in this item number 7 prison reform must include the right for ex-felons who have served their sentences 
the right to vote in all states, not just some states. In other words, this must be federal law. Okay? Okay, okay. All right. Item number eight. The Constitution of the United States must be upheld. Okay? Now, the Constitution of the United States, had the white men obeyed the Constitution of the United States, there would have never been slavery because the Constitution starts out that all men are created equally, right? Well, then you would have never enslaved black men. All right? So, you had to try to create something to go around your own Constitution, which you didn't come up with in the first place, the Iroquois, you borrowed from the Iroquois Constitution to create the U.S. Constitution. All right? So, uh, but you wouldn't have had slavery had they only been true to the words on the paper. And as the Native Americans say, you know, they lie. They lie. <laughs> All right. Fork tongue. Okay. Okay. So, item number nine federal laws of the United States must be upheld. In other words, you cannot have these state laws overruling federal laws. These sanctuary cities, sanctuary states, where you have uh, a fifth rail, other foreigners who come in and they create and they bring in their own laws and ordinances to suit their needs at the state and city and municipal levels. So no, no, we can't have that. So, an item number 11, the core of families are male, female, and children. Now, I've never seen a family that was produced with Pete Buttigieg and his husband. Uh, Wow, wow. Now, does that point muddy the waters when we're trying to get as many of us behind it as much. Well, no. It's saying what we stand for. You know, if you look, if you look, the traditions, the traditions of Africa, if you look all across the continent of Africa, the only exception being mainly uh, South Africa, all right, and, and, and the white folks, they really, they really did a head job on blacks in South Africa, okay, during apartheid. All across Africa, Africa rejects that type of behavior, okay? And we are children of that continent. And even right here in this country, Africans reject that in a majority. And I'm going to point out a point here. Notice that Pete Buttigieg in South Carolina, African-American voters says, uh-uh, no, 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 no. You're a nice guy, but we're not going to vote for you because we don't we don't buy this Tom and this Tom and Bill thing. We don't go along with that. All right? Now, I know I step on some toes of, of people. That's okay. I, you know, I don't, I don't care. Okay, I'm just calling it what it is. Okay, all right. So, all right. I think the the, the one that I've highlighted, number fourteen, is the one I really want you to expound on. Um, and then we're going to go back to Shay all day, who has a question. Okay. Um, hit number fourteen. Is that number fourteen I have highlighted? Yes, fourteen. Social and welfare. Okay, so item number fourteen: social and welfare programs must be a means to self sufficiency, not a lifestyle. What that means is, what it means is this. You have people who get on welfare, they get on government programs, they're able-bodied people, 
They have their mental wits about themselves, but they refuse to work. They just want to perpetually be on welfare programs. Now, this is white folks, black folks, Asian folks, <coughs> Hispanics. That's what they do. Okay? We're against that. We're against that. We don't stand for anything like that. People who cannot work, there should be a social net for them. But people who are able-bodied people, persons, they ought to work. They ought to take care of themselves. We should not have any freeloaders. Okay? Right. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, so, look, where can people find your 21-point agenda? And then I'm going to turn it right over to Shay. All right. Well, out there on my channel, on Afro Synergy News Channel, you can find uh, that 21-point agenda because in most programs, I post that 21-point agenda right out there in the comment section, and you can cut and paste it uh, and share it, print it out, share it with other people wherever you are, and also in Facebook also. YouTube and yeah. Facebook, you'll see it. Yeah, you sent me an emailed copy of it, and I truly appreciate that, good brother. Queen Shay all day, Queen Shay all day. I uh, fall back and let you take over. I have three things, and then I'll be done for the night. Um the first thing is when you say descendants of slavery, I already anticipate how do you prove that you're a descendant of slavery? That's one thing. Two, uh, Marlon Christian in the comments said something that I agree with, which is, can you really see Trump um, doing this in an executive order? And he said he can't see it without a civil war. I'm not going to say I don't see it without a civil war. I'm going to say I don't see it without some significant changes in our upbringing and our culture and culturation in America. Um, and the third thing is, I'm not hearing anything that acknowledges the trauma um, that African Americans are still experiencing. So when you talk about being able to work, being able bodied, I think to not address mental stress, mental distress, mental uh, incapacitation is, is folly um, to not address that and, and the fact that education needs to go, education and some type of support need to go with reparations. <coughs> okay. You got, you got hundreds of thousands, probably actually several millions. You have several millions across this country who actually get what some among, some people call the crazy check. Okay, they're getting that. Okay, so that's not an issue. Okay, they're getting that. You got people who do not have any mental conditions, but they don't want to work, they won't work. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, those people must work. Those people must not freeload. Uh, yes, you have post-traumatic slave syndrome, you have all of that. <clears throat> okay, you have that with some people, you do. You have some people who, who who are faking, okay? And professionals are the ones who evaluate those situations. So that has to be taken on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, but as I said, you have some we know should not be <coughs> freeloading on the system. That's American citizens. That's also some of the illegal aliens who are coming in here into the country. They come here, and then they become a public charge. In other words, they get on the welfare system. They get in HUD housing. 
and they're not even citizens. And, and HUD housing for them is illegal, but they've been able to get it in the past. So, uh, excuse me. So uh, that is how I would address uh, that particular area right there. Yes, you have the post-traumatic slave syndrome, but we have to seriously uh, look at where that is because you have some people who are just faking and they want a free free ride. You've got that. All right, and we have to realize that. You have people with mental conditions. You have to make exceptions for that. All right, but those are not the type of people I'm talking about. All right. So, what was the second and third third part of your question, uh, Shay? Um, so, the second and third part was um, when you talk about reparations for the descendants of slavery. How do you prove that you're a descendant of slavery? And also, the okay. idea that this is something that Trump would do in an executive order is. It's super far-fetched to me. Marlon Christian brought it up. And how would that move? All right. Well, uh, an executive order for reparations is not far-fetched. It's not far-fetched at all. Um, several decades ago, they thought an executive order and then legislation for reparations to what white people at that time, they were hating on the Japanese, calling them Japs, and squinty eyes and all that. They thought that that was impossible. They're our enemy. Never are no repar- no reparations to these Jap these Japs. Okay, that was a term that the white folks were using. <clears throat> and but reparations was given. It happened. It happened. Okay. And uh, even in spite of the fact that you had some people in America say, "Oh no, over my dead body," but they had no say in it. Because those things are decided at the high level of government. When the government makes those decisions, it's made. Okay? So this, the decision was made. And I think that started uh, under and with Ronald Reagan, with the Japanese. All right. So <clears throat> the, other, the other question, so, so, so it's not far-fetched, okay? You have not because you ask not. Because you ask not. If you cannot believe, then you cannot achieve. If you cannot dream it, you cannot see it, okay? If you don't have the vision, then you're not going to see it, okay? So you have to look beyond the I can't, I can't, I can't to the I can, I can, I can. That's what you have to look at. So uh, that's my message uh, on that. You know, there were people who told Martin Luther King Jr., you will never get what you're looking for. They will never sign that civil rights bill, Martin. They will never do it. But King kept on pressing. Got beaten up, thrown in jail. But he kept pressing until he got it. He got the job done. All right? You will always have naysayers. Always. They will always be out there as naysayers. But you will always have, more importantly, the workers, the believers who are out there working to make it happen. So we have to do that. Somebody had the idea <clears throat> that we're going to put it in Donald Trump's ear. For black people, for the HB, the historically black colleges and universities, we want an executive order. You had a naysayer who said, no, that will never happen. Donald Trump is a racist. He will never do that. You had others who said, oh, Alice Johnson, oh, 
black woman, release her from prison, Donald Trump. Oh, that will never happen. Donald Trump, he's a racist. He's a bigot. Remember the Central Park Five? He'll never do it. And tomorrow I'll have on my program uh, uh, Clinton Stewart. Stewart, black man, Colorado, out of Colorado, pardoned by the Trump, by Trump. Okay? All right. I'll have him on the program. But the naysayers you will always have with you. They will always be here. But the believers and the ones who are believers and the workers, they work to make the naysayers naysayers. Okay? Just that, naysayers. Because they work to make it happen. That must be our goal and objective. All right. Now that third part, the last part of that question was ask that question again so the users will hear it. So the last part was when we're talking about giving reparations to descendants of slavery, most most black Americans, uh, we don't have that record keeping, that that ability to trace even back to slavery, much less to our original ancestors. Yeah. Okay. Well, today, actually, most blacks can trace their ancestry back now. It's just a matter of them knowing the sources and knowing where to go. Ancestry.com. There are other places where you can go also and, and, and start tracing these things. And also the U.S. government. Okay. Most people probably don't know this. The U.S. government have a lot more of those records because those slave owners, because you as a commodity was valuable to the slave owners, they have records of all that tax records because they got tax write-offs. If they lost a slave, they could get insurance for that. Okay. Even, even after slavery ended, slave owners got uh, more than $240 per slave head that they lost. So they have records of this. The U.S. government have records of these things. Religious organizations have records. Mormons, they got records. Uh, 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 universities, you know, they've got records. They're out there, okay? It's just a matter of people starting to talk and starting to look, okay, and ask questions. You will find these answers. They're there. So we know, we know, you know, most of the overwhelming majority of black folks who are in the United States. Okay. And you didn't come here uh, on the boat recently or on a plane from Jamaica or from England or from somewhere in Africa or wherever else in the world. You didn't come here recently at all. You know that, hey, look, you're a descendant of those who came here on slave ships. You know that. And not all blacks even came here on slave ships before slavery. Slavery was 1619. Before 1619, you had blacks who had came over here on the ships with the Europeans and they were free, not slaves. Some of them even came as indentured servants with white indentured servants. But it was only in 1619, after 1619, where they started changing the laws. So it's not, we can't enslave white people. It has to be blacks. Okay, well, not everybody, a few small minority of blacks might, when you start doing the research, you might discover, well, hey, look, I, my ancestors were not enslaved, but that's very, very, very small number. Very small. Yeah, we saw that with Ava DuVernay. She did some research on. Uh, I can't think of the brothers. I maybe I can't think of it. Skip Skippy Gate Show, and it showed that her ancestors came from different areas and so they they didn't go through that 
enslavement period, but they did go through the Jim Crow process. So I know that FDA, uh, Foundation Black Americans, and ADOS are both using the designations of your 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 lineage went. I mean, not lineage because we're the lineage. Your ancestors went through the um, went through enslavement here in the United States of America, and they suffered and had rights taken away from them and demeaned during the Jim Crow era as the people who would be recipients of reparations. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because to me, I hear you saying we simply need to get the order pushed with the person who can push the order, the president. Right. Uh, and you've also said that the numbers, the, the money, that part is not relevant at this stage of the game. Right. So is the definition of who should get reparations, is that important at this stage of the game? No, it's not. It's not important at this stage of the game. OK, it's not. As you start going through what you have to go through first, all of that will come in its time. All of it. Uh, you know, uh, another measurement also, when you start looking at poverty numbers, if you were a descendant of, of, of slavery, when you start looking at certain poverty numbers in families, you can also guess who were and who were not. Okay? Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those, you know, those who, those who came through the slavery part of it, those blacks, they would probably have uh, less money, Less property, okay. There are exceptions, of course, okay. All right, but for the most, for, for the most part, the rule is that they're going to have less in number, mm. okay. You're going to have others who didn't come through chattel slavery. They may have came here from, um, even though Jamaica has slavery, it was it was different. But it was the same in many respects, too. Well, Jamaica owes them reparations. Well, Britain owes. And yeah, Britain. Britain. Okay. Uh, and, uh, well, France didn't play a big role right there, but it was a little role. But definitely a big role in Haiti for France. Absolutely. So, France owes them reparations. Yeah. So, so, so you could have uh, people who came from somewhere else. Maybe they came here from London by ship. In uh, in uh, eighteen ninety, okay, they came here by ship, and they weren't rich, but they they weren't bad off either, and they settled in a in a free state where slavery was not allowed, okay, and all of their children today, you may notice, oh well, they're excelling in a lot of in a number of areas in reading, math, science, uh, the STEM pro uh, programs. You might notice all of that, okay. So uh, you have a little bit, of that, little bit of that, but those are exceptions, okay? Not the rule, because you know, even if you came here free back way back in, let's say, uh, uh, let's say, let's say it was eighteen fifty, you came here free. If you so happen to end up in a in the wrong state, you might be enslaved, okay? So, uh, so looking at things realistically like that, uh, but I say again, and I emphasize this, 
the U.S. government and state governments have a lots of this information on file because slavery was a big time money business. It was huge. You know, at points, you have some of your ancestors who might be sold for $2,000. Way back then, early 1800s or 1700s, $2,000. That's a lot of money. Way back then. Interesting. Interesting. Brother, um, we're going to start closing down for the night. Ooh, this was, wow, this was mind-blowing. Uh, Queen Shay all day. We're going to let you say your 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 movement, your your tags, where people can find you. And then Brother T. West, I want you to share where people can find you. And uh, then we're going to close off. And this is something we're definitely going to have to revisit. Definitely yeah. because, one, T. West has gobs of information so uh shay what say you what uh you know what's what's your movement where can people find you hey you can find me all over the socials um 360 citizens our website is 360citizens.org and our movement is to build community and to put equity back in community but we start with literacy so we do reading intervention but we also look for ways to close those wealth gaps that Brother T. West is talking about. Okay. All right. All right, Shay, thank you. And uh, again, I am T. West uh, with Afro Synergy News. You can find me on YouTube under Afro Synergy News. You can also find me on Facebook under Afro Synergy News. You can find me on Twitter under the handle W-E-S-T-T-H-E-A. And that's where you can find me at. I was I was looking at some of your comments out here, too, from some of these uh, individuals. <laughs> Uh, some of uh, very good comments from some, 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 you know, they need a little help, but okay, good. Thank you for uh, the program. <laughs> you know, one of the brothers, Akeem the Great, said that you're probably the FBI, CIA. <laughs> and the yeah. other one I thought was interesting is that slave ship stuff don't make sense. Um, uh-huh. I our series on that, debunking that myth, you know, that. Uh, black folks were already here. They did not come over here on slave ships and all that kind of nonsense. Uh, you know, uh, black folks need to embrace who they are, okay? They need to stop the self-hate. Uh, uh, you know, we're the Native Americans. No, you're not. You're not the Native Americans. You have some dark-skinned Native Americans, but most of their hair texture was not like your hair texture. Uh, uh, and you, none of you, none of you speak any of the Native languages of this land. None of you. None of you. And in any place where people have been enslaved, check this out. Any place where people have been enslaved in their own land, in their own land, you will always find some of them who know how to speak their native language. Anywhere in the world. In Africa, you had slavery there too, along with colonialism. But in Africa, the people, you always find people who know how to speak their native languages. Right here in the United States of America, you cannot name any notable name one notable African American who speak Ch- the Choctaw language, who speak the Apache language, the Cherokee language, the uh, 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 the Iroquois language. Name one. I don't know of any of them who speak any of those languages. All right. All right. So that that's definitely a, a, a another stream we're going to have to do. So you've been listening to the Fly Guy Show, the home of intelligent, melanated conversations to improve our situation. I'm your man. Seiko Varner at Seiko Varner at Grandpa Crunk. We had Shay, Queen Shay all day at 360 Citizens. And we were uh 
honored to have brother T West from Afro Synergy. Oh, people are going in now, bro. The comments are going in now. Oh, I see. Uh, it. I see. Oh, yeah. It. yeah keep it. that same. Keep that same energy. Uh, we're going to bring brother T West back at another time to continue. But until then, you guys stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. <laughs> wow, man, they're going in. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests, unless we say we agree, unless explicitly stated. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly.